Good morning. Uh, grab your Bible and flip to the book of Psalms, and we'll be, in a, we'll be in Psalm 22. So find Psalm 22. We're going to be camping out there for the whole time. So this psalm, this psalm gets real, gets real quick. Uh, it, it, it drops us right in the middle of a moment of devastation. There's no warning. Uh, there's, it's sudden, and it almost feels blindsided. Like, if you read the first line of the psalm, you're like, whoa, like, there's something happening already. You're, like, joining middle of the story. And as shocking as it starts, this, this psalm, this way, many of us have had moments like that in life. Moments like that in life where you woke up and you didn't think something shocking was going to happen, but it does. And most, if not all of us, will go through something, some trouble or grief that blindsides us. And I remember a moment in college. I was a junior in college, and I was sitting in this tiny house. You know, in college, you just have like this dingy, kind of like rough-looking house that I was renting. And I'm sitting in this room, and I received this phone call. And it was my friend, so I answer, and the first words were like, hey, Sergey, Will is dead. And it, bl- it was blindsided. Will is dead? Like, what, Will is my mentor. Mil- Will is my friend. Will was uh, in his 30s, and he was sick with a minor cold. Will texted me the night before asking for prayer. And getting that call was hard. <laughs> it was hard. I remember that season well because after that phone call, like I, didn't, I woke up not thinking I was going to receive some phone call that was going to devastate me. But after that phone call, it just, it just took the air out of the room. And from that moment on, it was just kind of hard to breathe. Like, no matter what I did, like I, I, as a 20-year-old, uh, it just, that, that news broke me. I remember like, going to God in prayer and just kind of felt like I was talking to myself. Uh, Going to God's word just didn't seem to work. Talking to others, it just felt like somebody was just patting me with a device, what to do. It just didn't seem like it was actually helping. Just the one piece of news, right? One piece of information that morning felt like I was drowning. And there was one prayer, one prayer that I remember throughout the whole season. I remember just saying, God, where are you? Why do you feel so far away? I need you right now, but you don't seem to be here. I remember that was the prayer. And I remember it was like on repeat for me. I would pray that over and over. So have you been there? Maybe you are there today. Maybe this is your prayer there's many paths that, that get us to that point. Maybe it's coming back to the same sin over and over and over, and you're, you're maybe screaming to God saying, God, why can't you heal me? Maybe things in your life are not going how you want them to, and you keep getting upset with God, feeling abandoned by God. Or maybe this is, it's this pandemic. Like, I don't need to even explain that one. You're just, you have all the feels with it. There are many paths to get us to the place of feeling distant from God, abandoned by Him. So most of us have felt that before. And so since that call, since I was 20, since receiving that phone call, I go through seasons uh, where that prayer comes back and becomes my prayer again. 
Right? It's not one of those things that you just kind of happen, oh yeah, it happened once to you in life back in the day. No, like now it becomes seasonal thing where it becomes my prayer again. God, where are you? God, where, where are you? Uh, uh, you seem to be kind of far away. And this, this is exactly where this psalm starts off. It starts with a place of feeling utter abandonment, uh, utterly abandoned by God. And so we're going to start there too. And we're going to sit in it. We're going to sit in this feeling of abandonment. Maybe, maybe you're not there today, but we're still going to sit in it, so you might have to remember a time where you were feeling that. We're going to sit there for a minute, but from that place, we're going to find also that hope blindsides us as well. So we'll see that both of those in, in this psalm. So let's dive in. It starts off, Psalm 22. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. So David is the author of this psalm, and, and things are not going, going well from the start. There's a distance between David and his God. There's a distance, but these words are from someone who has experienced close proximity or has experienced nearness to his God, right? Like, in fact, we know from Psalm 21 that David knows it's blessing to be in the presence of God. And David knows well what it means to be in God's presence. But in this season of life, he feels the opposite. He feels abandoned by his own God. And David says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? I cry out to you. I try to get your attention, but you ignore me. And the, and the thing to notice here is that David doesn't stop going to God. No, he keeps going to him. Uh, he's crying out loudly and often, but God is silent. God is choosing not to answer. And th think of a kid is calling to a parent in the middle of the night, Dad, 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 but Dad never answers. And that's the feeling that David starts the psalm with. That, that total abandonment, no answer. Is dad even here? Did, 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 has he left me? And, and we, we don't know what caused David to be this low, but, all, but, but, we all, but we know that he's crying out to God and there is no answer. He keeps crying out, dad, 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 but dad does not answer answer. And by verse 6, it sounds like some time goes by because others are starting to notice his abandonment, right? In verse 6, it says, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make moths, uh, mouths at me and wag, wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. So David is crying out to God, and there's no answer, and others are starting to mock him. He says, all who see me mock me. They mock David by saying, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. They're using some of the similar language, or probably even same language, that David probably used to describe his God. And they're mocking him, says, where is he now? Where is your God? How's that working out for you? 
And now look, look at verse 14. Despair is starting to settle in, right? Uh, David says, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melting within my, my breast. My strength is dried up like potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. So David is completely abandoned by God. Others are mocking him and, and doubt starts to settle in. He starts to think maybe his God is not coming. Maybe there's not going to be an answer. He's trying to believe, maybe even convince himself that things will get better, but he feels like water that is poured out. He feels dry, thirsty, empty, and all his bones are out of joint. Like, bones out of joint? That's painful. Like, talk to Austin, the, the local PT here, right? And he would be like, that's a bad news to have bones out of joint. Like, that's pain upon pain. And then, then he finishes this, but my heart is like wax. He's expressing through poetry the deep despair that is settling in. He feels dried up, out of joint, distant. Everything that felt strong and steady inside of him is melting like wax. Have you been there? Have you been there? Have you felt this way before? Maybe you're feeling it right now. Maybe this pandemic has revealed how broken your heart really is. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe you have lost a job. Maybe you are in a dry season with God. You keep going to him over and over and over, but nothing is changing. It's dry, and maybe, maybe it's starting to get painful. Maybe it's starting to get painful. Maybe, maybe you're starting to feel the distance, and despair is knocking at the door. David is feeling complete and utter abandonment by his God. David is seeing people mock him. David is starting to feel that despair settling in. But in the midst of this, there are, there are words of hope that are weaved through David's prayer. And these words are wise words that he's speaking to himself in the midst of despair. <laughs> they are reminders of hope. And so let's look at these words of hope for a second. So it starts in verse 3. The first reminder starts at, we see in verse 3, it says, David says, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were put, and were not put to shame. So David knows the history of his people, right? Like, he knows the way God has provided for his people. He knows the stories of how God took them out of Egypt. He knows stories of how they walked on dry land through the Red Sea. Uh, he knows the stories of manna in the wilderness, and he definitely know, remembers how Moses hitting a rock caused water to come out of it. And all these stories are not just fables or some, some vague stories. No, these stories that happened to his great-great-great-grandparents. Like, this is stories that are inside his family. They, they live this. And David knows that God answered them. And it means that God can answer him. In other words, in the midst of complete abandonment, David remembers God's faithfulness. He remembers not only his story and his family story, uh, 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 but, but, but his family stories of how God provided 
So if you're feeling abandoned today, or maybe you're feeling abandoned right now, if you're feeling far from God, look back and see how God provided. Just look back and see how God provided. Look back and remember times when you could see God working. It might be years ago. It might be weeks ago. It might be days ago. Or times in the past that you remember God provided for his people. Right? Like you can look at, back at your story, but you can also look back at a story of others around you. Just the fact that you are sitting here today, that you were born and that you're sitting here today, that's God's faithfulness. Uh, let me just share two quick stories from my life that, that just really remind me personally of God's faithfulness. So first story is of my grand, grandfather. Uh, so my grandfather fought in World War II. And if you know any history, so he fought in World War II on the Russian side. So if you know any uh, history, you know that fighting during World War II in Russia was like playing Russian roulette 200 times a day. Right? It's just more than 16 million Russians died and more than any other country. It was rough. But here's what's even crazier. My grandfather's job uh, was to drive soldiers to the front lines in, in, a, in a troop transport truck. So well, that's all he did all war long. He would load soldiers up, and then he would drive them to the front front lines, and then he would drive back, and then you go back and forth and just do that as, as needed. And the whole entire war, that's, that was his, that's all he did. And he has stories of how, as he is driving, the truck in front of him gets blown up. He keeps driving, and the truck behind him gets blown up. He keeps driving. And he left the war without a single scratch. If people would fight over wanting to ride with him because he seemed untouchable. I mean, like, he got a reputation, like, dude, I want to, like, they would fight outside of his truck to be in his truck. And his, heart, his truck was never hit. He left the war without a scratch. And so whenever I'm feeling in the middle of this darkness, this feeling abandonment, I look back and remember that God did a miracle in protecting and providing for my grandfather. Like, I wouldn't be here if he died. That, that just, the fact that he lived is the fact that I'm here today. He didn't have to save him and protect him, but he did. This is the first story. Second story is a little more personal story that's about me and trying to swim across a river. So uh, there's really just odd reason Russians uh, love to swim across rivers. Like if you have a bunch of Russians like gather at a park and there's a river, there's a good chance they will all be like, hey, let's all swim across this river. Like I have no idea the reasoning behind it, so I can't explain it, but it has happened so many times growing up. Like you're at a park, there's a river, doesn't matter how wide it is, like all the men are like, hey, let's go swim across the river. So like all of us start swimming. So I was 20 years old with a bunch of Russians by a river. And so of course they were like, hey, let's all swim. And so I'm not a great swimmer. I know how to swim, but I'm definitely not Michael Phelps, right? So like I'm more on the lower end of, I barely swim. So, so we all, um, I was, again, I was 20 years old. I was in college, so I was like, I think I can, I can do this. 
they're all swimming, I can swim too. So I dive in and I start swimming. And I started off pretty fast. Like I started off a little bit quicker, maybe keeping up. You know, as a 20-year-old, you're like, I got this. So I kind of pushed myself harder. Uh, but this river was really wide and, and it was moving pretty fast. And so as, as I was swimming, I got to the middle of the river and I ran out of juice. I ran out of energy. I, I really, there was a moment where I was like, I don't, I don't, I need to go back. And like, I looked back and it was halfway and I was like, no, like this is bad news for me. Uh, everybody keeps swimming and, and again, like if you're a good swimmer, or you know what's up with water, like you probably be like, oh, let me just coast on my back or whatever. I, I just, I was like running out of energy and that moment, that darkness kind of comes in and you're like, I think this is it. Like I think that if, if something does not happen here, like a miracle, I think I'm going to drown. And I remember actually praying this prayer. And I was like, God, I really don't want to drown. Like, it's like, I just, that was, that was my prayer, right? Like, just being honest. Like, I just, it's like, oh, God, I really don't want to drown. And I can't explain. I can't explain. But, but for the next, like, maybe three minutes to five minutes, the current of the river took me and carried me closer to the shore. Like, I wasn't, I mean, sure, maybe I was swimming, but I, like, it was, like, in the river, the current got me and took me to the shore. And it wasn't, like, Moana kind of, like, water push you out kind of thing. No, no, like, no, really, like, it's just kind of, I was trying to swim. I think I'm dying, and God just said, not yet, buddy. Not yet. And so he carried me to the shore. So God protected my life. And so, sure, these are my stories, right? Like, this is my grandparents'. Uh, this is my story, and I have a million more. Like, if you ever want to hear of a guy who nearly died a ton, that's my life. Like, I just I have story upon story in those ways, and you probably do too. You probably do too. You have many stories of God's faithfulness and God's provision and his protection. And so when you're feeling that dry, abandoned feeling, remember those stories. Remember God's faithfulness to you. So that's the first thing we, we see, David, the, the first kind of a hope wisdom he gives us. Now look at verse 9. He says, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. So you have stories of God's faithfulness. You have stories of how God protected and provided. And some of those stories started from your parents. It started with from your parents. If you grew up in a Christian family, then your parents played a vital role in building that trust that you have to God. Like, I remember as a kid, my mom and my dad sharing stories of how God provided for them. And my mom shared how, how I can trust God and why I should trust God. I remember how my mom shared how God never fails, right? And so if you grew up in a Christian family, your parents probably did the same. They shared story upon story of God's faithfulness. Some of you had spiritual parents or mentors that did this, right? So maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian family, but, but God in his grace provided someone who kind of do that for you. People that walked with you, taught you, encouraged you like a mom or a dad uh, on your journey to faith. If you have kids now, you're probably sharing stories with your kids, and so David is leaning on that reality. He's leaning on the fact that his mom told him that God is trustworthy. She told him from birth. She told him this from birth. She told him that God will never fail. 
So we have stories of God's faithfulness. We have people who share those stories, parents or mentors. But the people who share those stories aren't talking about themselves, are they? At least I hope not, right? Like, I hope that they're talking about God behind those stories. The stories of faithfulness are about the one who is faithful. They're about God. And so he's ultimately the one who provided the help in those stories. God is the one who David's mom is talking about. And God is the one who used those words from David's mom and caused David to trust him. In the same way, I can look back at my stories of my grandfather, right? And I can be like, I can just go, man, my my grandfather was crazy awesome. Or I can be like, no, it was God who carried him, right? There's a savior that's behind it, right? Or I can be like, in the river, I don't know what happened. I just gained strength and I swam. No, I did not. It was God who literally carried me to the shore. So you remember that, that, that it's about God, not you. And that, that to David, as, that, as David is processing this, and now verse 19, he says, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of a wild oxen. So in light of those stories... In light of of the trust you gave me in your faithfulness, God, don't be far off. (laughs) In fact, I know you're not far off. I know this is to be true. I know that you are the one who rescued those who trusted in you before me, and you're the one who will rescue me. (laughs) I can only find my help in you, God, so come quickly. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. Save me from anything that is threatening. So if you are in the middle of a storm, if you're in the middle of a storm, feeling dry, feel far from God, feel abandoned, these words from David are helpful. These words are helpful. They're they're wise words that you can apply to your life. Look back. See God's faithfulness. Uh, look, Look back and remember the stories of his faithfulness to others. Look back and remember the one who provided that protection. In other words, remember God. And all these things are helpful and can lead you out of darkness. But just like the previous two psalms that we studied, yes, David is living in this pain, living in this darkness, abandonment. Yes, he's giving us wise words how to fight through, uh, how to fight through this darkness and how to go through it. And yes, you have probably felt like David, or maybe you're feeling that way right now, but this psalm isn't ultimately about you. This isn't even ultimately about David. It's ultimately about Jesus and the way he suffered and the way he loved us with the greatest love. And beyond that, how he understands what you're going through because he went through it himself. So for us to fully understand this psalm of suffering and abandonment and our own experience of those feelings, we need to see this psalm through the lens of Jesus. So Mark 15, uh, in the Gospel of Mark 15, 33 and 34, records Jesus' words on the cross as he's, he's quoting this psalm. And you probably caught it, right? As we, we started this, you're like, wait, I know these words. Like, I, see, I heard them before. 
It's because it's coming from Jesus' mouth as he's dying. In Mark 15, and 34, it says, When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he's about to experience the darkness of all darkness, separation and abandonment from God the Father. The wrath of God is about to fall on him. And in that moment, Jesus cries out the words from this psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So let's unpack this. Let's unpack this and ultimately see why this should be deeper comfort for us. So the phrase loud voice here means Jesus actually screamed this. And so at first time, at first look, you're like, oh, okay, finally Jesus maybe broke. He's dying and he's saying, God, you've forsaken me. But that's not the case. Because we know through the Gospels that Jesus knew he came to die. Earlier in the Mark, he states that his mission statement, he says, the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve others, and then ultimately to die. Uh, we know he knew, Jesus knew the plan of God, and God's plan to save humanity. Like, and he knew that it would take him to the cross to suffer the death that he didn't deserve, yet he freely went there because of his love for us. So Jesus is screaming these words, the words of Psalm 22, because of his deep love for us. So this is not about some physical pain, or it's not about some emotional pain, but it's about the spiritual darkness that Jesus is about to experience. And we know that is because Jesus didn't scream when his friends abandoned him, or Jesus doesn't scream when he's beaten. Tim Keller, in dealing with this passage, he's a pastor and a great theologian, um, says Jesus made torture look like a mosquito bite. Right? Like, and it, so, so he is calm through friends leaving Friends abandoning him, he's calm through beatings, but he screams this phrase at the end, why? Because Jesus is going to utter spiritual destruction. Jesus, in a way, is going to experience hell simply because God's presence will not be with him. Tim Keller talks about this passage and points to the fact that heaven and hell are eternal, and, and meaning they're outside of time. So, so, so Jesus then experienced an eternity of suffering in that moment. And he was going into that suffering alone. So when we read Psalm 22, uh, we see not just our suffering or David's suffering, but the righteous one's suffering for us. The psalm starts to come alive in light of that. Jesus knew perfect presence with God, the Father, right? Uh, he walked with God always and forever, yet on the cross he screams, Where are you, Father? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you churned your back on me? This is coming from someone who knew God's presence well, right? And when, when the psalmist says, verses 3 through 8, I... I I know how you, God, have delivered our people. I have seen your provision, but people are mocking me and scorning me. Those are the words that just happened right before this passage, right? In Mark 15, 31, these words describe Jesus. Uh, so also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe 
those who were crucified with him also reviled him. So you see, Jesus is living out this psalm. Jesus is dehydrated. Jesus' bones are out of joint. And listen to verses 16 through 18. For dogs encompass me, and a company of evildoers encircle me, and they have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothes they cast lots. Jesus is living out this psalm. He is the beloved son with whom God is well pleased. He's the beloved son who goes to the cross to become our sin. And in that moment, God turns away from him. This is the only time, that final time, it's the only time and the final time that oneness within the Godhead was split apart. And he did that because he loves us. Jesus is taking the wrath of God and giving us his righteousness because he loves us. So you see these first 21 verses that describe Jesus and what he suffered for us. But starting verse 22, the tone changes. The tone changes. We see beauty of the cross, the beauty of the righteous one dying for us. In other words, we see what it means for us to live in light of the cross. What it means for us to live in our new identity that Christ gives to us because of what he did on the cross. So let me read this chunk of scripture to you. And then we'll, we'll, we'll look at it very briefly. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All your offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all your offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but he but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I'll, I'll perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over all the nations. Or over the nations. See, Jesus is the only innocent being suffered for us in our place. And the cross doesn't just say, hey, you don't need to suffer the ultimate suffering anymore. Yes, because, because of Jesus, you are clean. Yes, because of Jesus, you are forgiven. But also because of Jesus, you're bought into a family. Right? I love, again, just probably overquoting Tim Keller today, but I just love his phrase when he's dealing with the gospel and this, and he says, listen, you weren't just purchased from a slave market, but you're also brought into a royal family. So you're brought into his family. In other words, Jesus will not only declare us innocent, purchase us from a slave market, but also adopt us into his family. And he's able to do that because he looked death in the face and death couldn't hold him. Jesus took his blood to the altar for us. Jesus was mocked for us. Jesus was dehydrated for us. Jesus was pierced for us. Jesus experienced the darkness of hell 
for us so that we don't have to. Jesus carried the weight of verse 1, but he knew that he would not be forsaken for long. He knew that he was going to see the Father's face again. He knew that he would sit and rule at the right hand again. And this, the, and this Jesus is the king of all, as David says in verse 28, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. So you see, this, this psalm comes alive when you see it through the lens of Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, the author alludes to this psalm by saying in Hebrews 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 10 and 12, he says, It was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. He's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I'll tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of a congregation, I'll sing your praise. You see, no matter what, what you're going through, no, no matter how deep you feel abandoned, and no matter how silent God seems to you today, you might feel low, but Jesus went lower for you. You might feel abandoned today, but Jesus felt that abandonment for you. You might feel tired and distant from God, but Jesus says, it is finished. I love you. Come to me. Just a few chapters later in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, we see this reality. We see this beauty. And I just want to read this over us. It says, you probably heard this many times, but since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but the one in every respect have been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that, may, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Jesus gets it. Jesus gets it. He gets your darkness he gets your suffering. He gets your distance. He can sympathize with you. He's a high priest who understands you. Not just understands you, but says, I will take care of you. It's not just like, hey, bro, I got you. No, he's like, I got you. I love you. Let me pull you out of that sin. Let me adopt you into my family. So may you trust in this Jesus. May, may, we, may we trust the one who understands our weakness. May we come confidently to this Jesus. May you find hope in this Jesus today. And may we draw near to the throne of grace.